end of that series, and we're now starting our Advent series, and we are starting it a little early. A lot of times when we do an Advent series, um, it's about five weeks long, but because we have a children's Christmas service and things like that, we don't always get a chance to do the whole series, but this year I wanted to make sure we got a chance to do the whole series, so we're starting this week, even though it isn't officially Advent, we're starting our Advent series this week, okay? And the Advent series is entitled Advent, Then, and Now. Advent, Then, and Now. And uh, the first thing I wanted to ask, and I got young people here too, um, when we say Advent, what comes to mind? What, what, does that, what does that mean for you when we think about Advent, as we think about the church? Yeah, what does Advent mean? Christmas, okay, certainly it means Christmas. It's that sense that Christmas is coming soon, right? Yeah, and have any of you ever had an Advent calendar that you used to do as a family or anything like that? How many of you? Yeah? Um, so what, what is Advent all about? Why do, why do we do Advent? What do you think? What's, what's going on with Advent? Anybody? It's the idea of someone coming. It's a sort of looking back at the uh, promises. I'm going, I have a definition. We can put it up there, and you guys are filling out your outline. This is the first thing you can fill out. Advent is Latin for the Greek word parousia, which means coming or arrival, usually of some noble person or king into the city. So Advent, as we have practiced it over the years traditionally, is about us looking back at all the promises in the Old Testament that talk about that coming king, the coming Messiah, Jesus. And what we want to do this year is not only do we want to look back, because the early church also used to celebrate looking ahead to the second Advent, the Advent of this Jesus coming back again. And so this series called Then and Now means we're going to look back, but we're also going to look ahead. We're going to look at prophecies about how the Jesus came, but we're also going to look at how He's going to come back, and we're going to learn that uh, in new ways. And so the series itself is going to have five weeks, and each week we're going to be looking at something like this. Who is coming? That's this week. When is He coming? How is He coming? Where is He coming? And finally, why is He coming? So we're going to be looking at that over the next uh, six weeks, because we have one week where we have the children's program. Okay? So here's my question that I want some feedback from. What are some words or phrases that you would use to describe Jesus? What are some words or phrases, adults too, that you would use to describe Jesus? Yes? Prince of Peace. Thank you. Good, good. Yes, something else. Describing Jesus. Savior. Savior. Thank you. Savior. Great. Something else. King, okay, king, all right, anyone, anyone else, something else? Lamb of God, Almighty God, Messiah, yes, what's that? Comforter, absolutely, some other words, healer, man of sorrows, protector, bold, see we can keep going on, right? There's a lot of wonderful names for Jesus, and it's a great thing. But what we're going to be focusing on today is Jesus as King, the King who is coming. Because sometimes we miss that. We miss that Jesus is a King, and He has a kingdom. And so we're going to be looking at that today. And the way I'm going to start it off is by reading Psalm 2. 
I'm going to read this out. You can look as it, uh, it's on the overhead. Why do the nations conspire and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss His Son, or He will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Hallelujah. You see, and guys, if you're filling out, this is uh, one of your questions you'll answer. This psalm is a prophecy of the promised king. It's a prophecy of both David as the promised king, but it goes further. Prophecy goes further. This is a prophecy of the coming Messiah who will rule the nations. This Psalm 2 is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's quoted in Acts 13, in Hebrews 1, in Hebrews 5, and even the apostles and disciples, when they're being persecuted, pray Psalm 2 in Acts 4, verses 23 to 25. So this is a prophetic psalm about the coming King, Jesus. Amen? Now, when you read that, it doesn't sound like the little baby that we sort of have an idea of, right? There's something really powerful about this king who is coming. And sometimes we get a bit too nostalgic about Christmas and lose some of what's going on. But, but to make it even clearer, let me go back to something that's very familiar to us. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. Listen to this. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He will reign on David's throne. So it should be no surprise when Jesus is born, if you guys are filling this out, that the Magi from the east come, and what do they do? They worship him as king, the king of the Jews. Right? And when he begins his ministry at the age of 30, he uses the words, the kingdom of heaven is near. What's he really saying? He's saying the king is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. And it's good to remember that God's government is a monarchy. A kingdom with a king. See, in much of the world today, kings and kingdoms no longer exist, right? There are republics, there's democracies, socialism, dictatorships, all different forms of governments, but just a couple of kingdoms. Interestingly enough, we minister where? 
in Eswatini. It's one of the last remaining monarchies in the world. The king in Eswatini is a complete monarch. He has absolute power. But the days of the reigning monarchs and kings with absolute power are over because power corrupts, and in corruption people are oppressed, and so there's been rebellion against that, and so what we have is we have different forms of government. But with God's kingdom, there is absolute power uncorrupted and used for the good of his people. That's radically different, right? This is the king who is coming. Listen to Jesus' words on this subject in Matthew 20, verses 24 to 28. This is right after the disciples, James and John, come to him and basically say, hey, listen, Jesus, when you get to be king, when you, when you become king and you're on your throne, we want to be on your right and your left. We're, we're just asking you this now before anybody else asks you this, right? And so here's what we read. Here's the response. When the other ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. What? And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Come on now. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Are you answering that? And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what's called God's upside-down kingdom. It's completely the opposite of what we would consider normal, isn't it? A king coming to serve rather than be served? And more radically, to give his life as a ransom? And to bring the point home here, Jesus fulfills a prophecy of Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10, on what we call Palm Sunday, okay? So remember now, he's come to serve, not be served. Basically, this is a much different king. What's really going on here? The people in Israel, they're expecting a king who's going to destroy the Roman Empire, and they're going to have their own empire, and they're going to rule all the nations. And now here comes this King Jesus, and he's talking about serving Rather than being served, he's talking about giving his life as a ransom. And they're they're like shaking up. They don't even know what's going on, right? It's completely upside down. And Jesus, on Palm Sunday, sort of brings it all together in a very powerful way as he fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah. I'm going to read Matthew 21, 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find the donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This is the prophet we are just talking about, Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And let's just get a picture in our minds. If you could put that picture up of Jesus riding a donkey. So here, here's Jesus riding a donkey. Now, this doesn't look like a king, right? There's something going on here. See, Jesus chose to act out the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah and to declare his kingship in the action of riding a donkey. See, verse 10 of Zechariah 9 says, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, and he will speak peace to the nations, and his kingship will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, the youth, if you're answering, this is one that you want to answer. By riding a donkey, Jesus declares his humble, gentle, saving, global kingship. In his first coming, he is a servant king. we got to get that. In his first coming, he is a servant king. That following Thursday after that Sunday, what does he do? He actually models this by watching the, washing the disciples' feet. This is the king of heaven. This is the king of glory. And yet he gets down and he washes the disciples' feet because he wants to show them that he is a servant, that he is one. And then what happens? Judas betrays him that night, and he's taken. And the following day, he is crucified. And he fulfills what he said. He gives his life as a ransom. On the cross, the servant king. In Philippians 2, it says, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is God. Only he could be one who's obedient to death. And he was for us. He was the servant king. And I love what Bruce Metzger says in Breaking the Code. Listen to this. Instead of a ferocious lion, or we could put king in there, that hurts others, the Messiah is a sacrificial lamb that takes into himself the hurts of others. That is the secret of history. This is what the scroll that he picked up in Revelation 5 contains. The revelation that Almighty God brings the kingdom of heaven to earth through sacrificial love. Instead of a ferocious lion who hurts others, Jesus Christ the Lamb overcomes by taking the hurts of others into himself. Now, let's go to another prophecy. Isaiah 53. And let's see how this confirms this servant king who gives his life as a ransom and takes our hurts upon himself. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. How powerful is that? This is the God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord. He comes as a servant king, serves us by going to the cross and dying. And all of the hurts of our lives, all that rebellion, all of that, he takes upon himself and purchases us with his blood. So this explains Advent then, okay? This is looking back, and if we were just right now doing an Advent sermon without looking ahead, I pretty much would close the door here, right? Because we looked at the prophecy that points to Jesus the Messiah who's coming, and even though it's radically different than people thought, he came as the king, the servant king, and he died on the cross. But what about his second arrival, the second Advent? What's the king going to look like when he comes back? For that, we need to go to Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow. Now let's put a picture up, Sib, just to give a little idea of the difference. You go from a donkey to something like this. This is the second coming. Right? This is the king coming back again. Radically different. Completely opposite of the first. Jesus is coming as the conquering king. And what's fascinating about this battle to which Jesus is riding is that when you go through Revelation, it is actually never fought. Why is that? It's because it didn't need to be fought because the final battle has already been won at the cross. Jesus Christ rides simply to finally implement the victory of the cross where he destroyed the powers and the principalities He already has the keys of death in Hades. So he comes to lock up the dragon, who is Satan, and the two beasts, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now you guys can, we're not going to get into any more of that. And as a result, the stage is set for King Jesus to come as the judge. Okay? So we got to get there. We got to get there. This is it. The judge. Listen to what it says in Matthew 25, 31-34. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Wow. 
All right, show me the throne. I know people love the artwork I put up here, but let's put the throne up there. See this person up there? Each one of us is going to come before the king on his throne as judge. You see, there will be a judgment day, but it will not be the terminator that we meet. Wait a second. It won't be the Terminator that we meet. It's going to be King Jesus. And He will separate the sheep from the goats. All those who have been purchased by the blood, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, who have repented of their rebellion and their sin and ungodly lifestyle, who are living lives compelled by the love of God, will take up their inheritance. Amen? This will be a day of great joy. How do you look at the day of judgment? For us who know Jesus, it is a day of great joy. I love what N.T. Wright says. God's coming judgment is a good thing, something to be celebrated, longed for, yearned over. It causes people to shout for joy, and indeed the trees of the field to clap their hands. In a world of systemic injustice, violence, bullying, arrogance, and oppression, The thought that there might be a coming day when the wicked are finally put in their place and the poor and weak are given their due is the best news there can be. Faced with a world in rebellion, a world full of exploitation and wickedness, a good God must be a God of judgment. See, we live in a world with so much brokenness. A world of wars, terrorism, hatred, murder, disease, natural disasters, death. I mean, I mean, we just, you know, in this 24-7 news cycle, it's just, we're bombarded with this again and again. It's, it's, it's almost unbearable at times, is it not? There's so much that's going on, and we see the evil and the brokenness all around us. And then you have movies like The Terminator and others that, that basically feed off of this idea of the apocalypse, Right? And it's all about an apocalypse that's coming um, and the world is going to be destroyed and man's going to destroy himself. And it really glorifies evil. But this is all going to come to an end when King Jesus returns. Hallelujah. All of it is coming to an end when King Jesus returns in His second advent. And it's described in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! This is what the king is bringing with him. This is our certain future. This is our inheritance that will never spoil or fade. Let our imaginations 
move in this reality? What would it be like to be thinking about this? This is the King's kingdom where we're going to spend eternity. Think about that. Eternity. It's even hard to grasp. And so, how are we going to spend eternity, right? When I was a young person like you guys, I used to have this picture of heaven being really a boring place. You know, I used to see all these pictures of like these cherubims playing harps and people just sort of floating around in heaven with not much to do. And I sort of had this idea. I was like, that's what heaven is, man. I don't ever want to go there. It's boring. But that's not the picture of heaven. That's not what the Scripture tells us. You see? The Scripture tells us something radically different. I love what Dallas Willard says in The Divine Conspiracy. We will not sit around looking at one another or at God for eternity, but we will join the eternal Logos, reign with Him in the endlessly ongoing creative work of God, a place in God's creative order has been reserved for each one of us from before the beginning of cosmic existence. His plan is for us to develop as apprentices to Jesus to the point where we can take our place in the ongoing creativity of the universe. Hallelujah! Do you know that scientists are still finding out things about the universe? There's all these new things going on. I think God's playing with their heads. I think every time they think they got it, He just creates something new. Because that's our God. And he tells us that we're going to get new bodies. We're going to be walking with Jesus. And in our new bodies, we're going to be flowing from age to age to age. You can't even fathom what that's going to look like. But we're going to be doing all kinds of amazing things. And God's creativity is not going to end. It's going to continue. That's what C.S. Lewis tries to point out in the Tales of Narnia. This is what it's all about. So when this king comes, he's bringing something amazing. A new heaven and a new earth. A new place. No more evil. People living out the character of God from age to age and things that we can't even imagine. Let your imagination grab a hold of that. Forget about the evil in this world. You don't need to imagine that. It's in front of you. But imagine what God is doing for us, the King of glory, as He comes again. Hallelujah. That's our King. That's the king who's coming. The one who's come and the one who's coming. And in Revelation, he says in Revelation 1 and Revelation 22, the time is near. We have to pay attention to this, right? The time is near. What's it mean? Well, for each one of us, there's a day appointed when we're going to die. And that means the time is near for each one of us. And we don't know when that is. And that's why there's such an urgency that the servant king has put out there, come. Psalm 2, he urges all the kings of the nations, come. He's urging us, come. At the end of Revelation, come. The Spirit says, come. All you who are thirsty, come. There is salvation for you. There's peace. There's the shalom that only God can give in your hearts. Because you know you're forgiven by God. You know that you're part of God's kingdom. That you're His child. That He actually does sit on the throne of your life. And you can live out the character of heaven on earth. It's a wonderful thing. So I'm not only looking at the children here, but I'm also looking at the adults. The time is near, brothers and sisters. Are we compromising? Where's our walk with the Lord? 
Are we doubting? Are we letting our culture begin to tell us what only the Scripture can tell us? How are we going to stand firm in our world today? I, and I love what Romans 13 says. 13.10-14. through 14. You don't have this down. Love your neighbors as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Amen? The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's put on Christ. We have Christ. We can put Him on. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, close yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen? The hour is now. For us, how are we living? The way we live is basically telling us what we really believe. The fruit of God's love in our hearts are the things that He looks at on Judgment Day. Read again that Matthew passage on the sheep and the goats. The time is near, brothers and sisters. We have a wonderful King the serving king has given us everything we need to know salvation and to know that when the king comes back again, we will have everything that he's promised us. All the things that have been made new, we will have. It will never spoil or fade or perish. Amen? This is who's coming. So we approach this table knowing that. See, because this table is basically, you know, a microcosm of the sermon I just preached, right? What does this table tell us? This table says, look back. You see, you're people of memory. You understand the king has come. He was the serving king. He served us by pouring out his life as a ransom for us that we may be reconciled, that we may know salvation, that we become children of God, that we have an inheritance in heaven, that even now we can experience forgiveness and the work of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we can come even to this table because this is a table of faith that we come to so we can be strengthened today. Amen? But the, this doesn't end there. This table also tells us that not only are we people of memory, but we're people of hope. Because the king is coming back again. And when he comes back again, he's coming as a conqueror. He's coming as the judge. But we don't fear that. We actually welcome that. Because when he comes back, he is going to bring us who believe because of what he's done as the servant king, he's going to bring us to a new heaven, a new earth, where everything is made new, where we will have a new purpose with glorified bodies. Hallelujah, let's go. Amen? So that's what this table is talking about today. It is wonderful. We have a wonderful king and a wonderful kingdom that we serve. And so this table is speaking to us today. Worship team, you can come up now if you want. But as we look at this, I do want to encourage you. 
Maybe today, that Romans 13 passage for you is one that has challenged your heart. How is it that you are walking in the light right now? And this is the moment where the king is speaking to you plainly. Look what I provided. You can come now. And you can bring all of what's going on in your life, the rebellion, the sins, the addictions, uh, you know, your unforgiveness, all the different things in your life. You can just bring them now and let them be covered by the blood of Christ, forgiven, no record of wrong kept, as far as the east is from the west, and you can come to this table, and you can eat of this, and you will be strengthened and refreshed in your soul, so that you can live out a revival. Hallelujah. So this is a moment for you, as you come to the table, to do that. And I would pray that you would do that. So I'm going to ask you now to take a few moments in prayer. If you're someone here today and you don't have faith in this King Jesus, this is the moment for you to come. You're not here out of chance. You're here because the Spirit has called you. And if your heart is speaking to you and you've never come, this is a time to come to the Lord. And if you have any questions about that, please ask me afterward. But don't come to this meal unless you really are someone of faith. I always say to the young people here, some of you already made a profession of faith. Some of you are thinking about it. Some of you are talking to your parents about it. If you are, I encourage you to continue to talk to your parents about it. We'd love to be able to interview you and have you come up here and make a profession of faith so you can receive communion. But if you haven't made a confession yet, don't take the communion as it goes by, right? It's not for you yet, but pretty soon. Amen? Praise God. Why don't you take a moment now in prayer before the King?